Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. We got Q, we got A, and we got Hot Topics of the Day. Thank you for coming over here to play with this wonderfully exciting and diverse recording uh, pulled from the notes and charting of the feedback that we received from info at ketoreset.com and from some email exchanges of my own. Uh, with some really interesting uh, back and forth that I figured would be good for uh, general interest on the show. And Dan Vinson wrote a great email uh, about the carnivore diet. His message was similar to my mindset, where he listened to uh, Dr. Saladino on a podcast and became extremely intrigued about the whole concept, the whole premise. Uh, Dan writes to me, says, hey, Uh, Let's talk about this carnivore thing. Dr. Saladino makes a lot of good points. And then his reflections uh, from the the listener, Dan, uh, he says, My thoughts are, yes, meat is definitely the most nutrient-dense and bioavailable source of nutrition for us humans, especially when you eat nose to tail. So you get the term bioavailable, that means easy to digest and assimilate into the body. So when we're talking about, for example, iron or uh, protein, we have a complete protein source with all nine essential amino acids when we're talking about foods from the animal spectrum. And if we're eating a plant-based diet, for example, you have to combine your brown rice and your beans and your tofu and put things together and break them down in a more complex manner than uh, consuming, let's say, iron-rich animal products such as liver. So when they say the term bioavailable, it means how easy it is for your body to digest it. Uh, You might look at a label for a protein supplement like whey protein or some of the plant proteins like pea protein, and they'll use that term bioavailable. Whey is believed to be the most bioavailable source of protein, has a nice profile of all the essential amino acids, where the vegetable-based proteins are the soy proteins. That's why they're cheaper in the store, uh, more difficult to digest and assimilate, and you have to put more uh, chemical reactions together to get the protein that you need. So that's the argument in favor of uh, including animals into your diet. Dr. Saladino uh, made this case in detail uh, on the interview that I did with him on the Get Over Yourself podcast and also talking through some of that with Mark Sisson on their epic double show on the Primal Blueprint podcast. And he's been on a lot of other shows and he's got his own show now called functional health. Uh, Zach Bitter and Sean Baker are doing a great program, another new podcast uh, called uh, Human Performance Optimizers. So you can get some great content on this burgeoning new dietary topic. But I really like how Dan wrote with a reasonable uh, reflection about uh, do we really need to do this all-in thing where we strive to eliminate all plant foods from the diet Uh, with the argument that they're uh, not providing much nutritional benefit and possibly even bad for you. 
<laughs> oh, man, mind-blowing. So anyway, Dan says, I thought about this a little more, and I came to the conclusion that meat was never uh, the hunter-gatherer's sole source of food. They would have eaten anything that was edible. Plants, fungus, insects. Indeed, insects were a big part of the ancestral diet. We kind of forget that these days. Uh, there was a little movement to uh, make energy bars from cricket protein. So I think cricket protein has arrived in the marketplace now and is used in certain products. <laughs> but for some reason, we're passing on the insects uh, in most of Western society. Uh, but anyway, Dan says, because humans have always eaten some plant matter, doesn't it seem reasonable to say that there's benefit to at least consuming some plant matter in your diet? Uh, reasonable and fair point. And Dr. Saladino answers this thoughtfully uh, when he claims that or argues that uh, plant foods were survival foods for the human. Of course we ate plant foods. Of course we're omnivores. Evolutionary biology, uh, anthropological research reveals that with great certainty. They can look at the dental records and see that we ate this and we ate that. So we've had plant foods as part of our uh, ancestral and evolutionary uh, pattern since day one. Now, what about the argument that these were survival foods? In other words, they were protection, fallback against the eventuality of not succeeding in hunting the animals. That's another mind blower because it makes perfect sense that, of course, you're going to go try to grub up anything uh, that you can find. Uh, but I remember this epic one-liner from Sean Baker uh, on one of his shows where he said, look, if a uh, hunter-gatherer pack were able to bring down a prehistoric woolly mammoth, this was a giant beast uh, that supplied somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million calories, according to the uh, statement by Dr. Baker. And he calculated that the typical hunter-gatherer band size of uh, around 30 individuals could feast for months without having to pick a single berry or go uh, rummaging around for roots, shoots, and leaves. Uh, it's also uh, substantiated by uh, evolutionary biology that part of our whole deal with splitting away from our ape cousins and building those higher, more advanced, larger brains to evolve and become uh, the rulers of the planet Earth and the animal kingdom was driven strongly by consuming more nutrient-dense food, being able to cook food so they were more edible, and of course feasting upon the omega-3 rich uh, marine life and animal life that allowed the brain, which is so dependent on uh, quality nutritious sources of fat because it's made up of mostly fat, allowed the brain to grow and prosper in comparison to, uh, let's say, uh, the, uh, the gorilla of today who has to eat plant matter and chew on leaves and things for somewhere like 11 hours a day. They have to eat just to nourish that tiny little brain and get through the day and get through life as a gorilla. So uh, branching off on the evolutionary uh, timeline, the evolutionary tree branches, uh, was driven strongly by finding these nutrient-dense animal foods. So again, argument in favor of emphasizing animal foods in the diet, and now we're at sort of the crossroads with the uh, the carnivore movement saying, look, why don't you just uh, stick to these and have them as the, the uh, vast emphasis on your plate? So whew, definitely... Uh, an opportunity to think critically and remain open-minded about the whole concept and perhaps consider that these plant foods uh, were 
in the survival food category for eons and that we favored uh, nutrient-dense animal products. Uh, Continuing with Dan's message that set up this whole discussion, uh, don't get me wrong, I eat a ton of meat and vegetables and I feel great. It's just a little bit disturbing. It's a mind F to think that could I feel even better if I uh, went strictly carnivore. And of course, he knows that I've been talking about this on podcasts and doing an experiment of my own that's lasted now. Oh, about three or four months where I've transitioned to a carnivore-ish pattern, mainly as an experiment, as an opportunity to do some R&D, and just not going out of my way to consume massive uh, quantities of plant matter with giant salads or the uh, super nutrition green smoothie where I'm pouring in a bunch of raw kale, spinach, celery, things like that, and really trying to hit those hard. So, hey, I feel great. I can't say I feel uh, 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 magically different, uh, better or worse. I will report that my digestion and elimination function is excellent, probably better, definitely no occasions of gas bloating and digestive distress that I could reference happening, especially in conjunction with these super nutrition green smoothies that I had uh, in previous years and, uh, you know, now and then, Uh, over the course of my life. So consuming a lot of raw vegetable matter can be uh, difficult to digest. I know many people will concur, uh, but who knows? Am I losing out uh, by missing out on these green smoothies that have all the nutritional value? And another excellent argument that's been advanced by uh, a lot of people in the space is that fasting is the most optimal metabolic state and health state for the human. Our immune system function improves, uh, our autophagy, the natural cellular detoxification process that occurs inside our bodies is optimized, upregulated when we're in a fasted state. So is apoptosis, that's the term for the programmed death of dysfunctional cells like precancerous cells or dead brain cells that you need to purge and cleanse. So autophagy and apoptosis, things are upregulated like no other time when we are in a fasted state. Uh, Dr. Art Devaney, one of the pioneers of the ancestral health movement, says that we are perhaps most human when we don't eat. So we're functioning at our best, peak cognitive function, we're making those ketones, we're upregulating the burning of body fat, our inflammation is under control like no other time when we are in a fasted state. So, if you think about the compare and contrast versus waking up in the morning and skipping the most important meal of the day, as we've always heard our whole life, and just uh, prolonging your fasted state from the previous night uh, and beginning your caloric consumption uh, at midday. So, you're banking a lot of fasted hours. You're getting all these benefits of autophagy, ketosis, apoptosis, enhanced immune function, anti-inflammatory effect, uh, arguably and probably substantiated that this is better than any kind of food you could eat, any kind of superfood or going down to Jamba Juice and getting the fresh blend, fresh squeezed uh, plant and fruit juice. Wow, pretty heavy. 
we know that glutathione, the super antioxidant, the so-called super antioxidant that is manufactured internally, along with other internally manufactured antioxidant like superoxide dismutase and catalase. So we have catalase, SOD, superoxide dismutase, and the powerhouse antioxidant, the granddaddy, glutathione. And these things, these puppies are pumped out by our internal cellular processes so that we're in an enhanced antioxidant state. We're protecting our body against free radical damage when we are fasting. Of course, you're going to ingest uh, antioxidants and phytonutrients and all these touted beneficial things when you're chowing down the kale and the broccoli and pounding the smoothies. But in the absence of that, obviously, over the 2.5 million year scientific study known as human evolution, we have done very, very well without having our morning acai bowl or super nutrition green smoothie from a fancy blender. So, wow, if you start to piece together the story here that maybe, just maybe, more fasting is going to produce more health and a more nutrient-dense diet, which would mean because animal foods are the most nutrient-dense and most bioavailable, then you start drifting over into the carnivore corner. Trip out. Brad Kearns answers now uh, via email to Dan. And at the end of my email, the last line was, Hey man, thanks a lot for this prompt. Great conversation. Maybe I'll turn this into some podcast commentary. So I admit to Dan that I've been dabbled and dabbling in this carnivore pattern. Uh, I wasn't a super strict adherent because I saw no reason to be that crazy about it. So I had some leakage here and there. I can reference, um, a lot of dark chocolate consumption mainly, which of course is a plant. So is my kombucha. So I was scolded by Dr. Saladino for including these uh, these plant uh, uh, agents in my diet while I was experimenting with carnivore. I called it the C&C diet, the carnivore and chocolate diet. And um, I wasn't too worried about that because I don't categorize myself as one of those extreme sufferers that has experienced life-changing benefits from carnivore. So clearly something is going on when you go over to meatheals.com or you hear uh, Michaela Peterson talk for a few hours on the Joe Rogan podcast about her dramatic uh, transformation and return to health uh, from going into a strict carnivore pattern and curing all these uh, all this reactivity and disease patterns that were apparently caused by extremely high reactivity, extreme adverse response to eating routine, uh, supposedly healthy plants. Uh, Also heard some good podcast commentary from uh, a lady named Amber O'Hearn, who claims to have cured and uh, eliminated her medicine for a bipolar diagnosis from the carnivore diet. And there's many other amazing stories at meatheals.com where people's uh, gut lining, immune system, uh, inflammatory processes were just just trashed, destroyed, and they were struggling through uh, horrible health suffering on a daily basis and turned things around really quickly uh, with an exclusionary diet, uh, eliminating all plant foods. So if you're suffering right now with autoimmune or inflammatory conditions of any kind, it is definitely worth 
considering an exclusionary diet to cut things out and see if you get an improvement in your symptoms. Hard to argue with that. And speaking of the science and where's the science about it, the naysayers, the skeptics, I heard a fabulous quote from my friend Doug McGuff, a wise sage of the world, author of Body by Science and also co-author of Primal Prescription. He's an emergency room physician in South Carolina, so he's worked on the front lines for 25 years and has some wonderful ideas about how to stay out of the emergency room and stay out of the medical system by taking control of your health, getting some good exercise in, uh, making sensible choices, uh, being safe. He has an article called 12 Ways to Avoid the Black Swan. I think we talked about this on an old, old Primal Blueprint podcast, so you can search for that. Uh, But anyway, what he said about the science was really interesting. And he said, guess what? precedes all scientific discovery. You know what it is? It's tinkering around, experimenting, trying stuff, and discovering that it works, Uh, especially in the athletic world, right? The bodybuilders were doing crazy stuff with their stacks of weights and their diet 30, 40, 50 years ago, finding that they could get ripped for the upcoming bodybuilding contest by cutting carbs out of their diet 40, 50 years ago, right? Uh, Finding that they could grow muscle by doing a certain workout protocol and eating certain foods afterward. And then... Uh, As Dr. McGuff describes, what happens is people tinker, something works, they get success, they don't really know why it works, it just works. And then these scientists glom onto the concept and organize a study and validate the observation that, for example, cutting carbs can help reduce excess body fat. And there we go with scientific validation. But everything starts with tinkering. Wonderful insight to help compare and contrast when you start uh, issuing these uh, sound bites like, show me the science, thinking that the science is the end all. And I will put in a vote here too, uh, as I Uh, reflect upon my career as a professional athlete and some of the scientific studies that would come out in the magazine or a book or an expert would start touting this or that type of training approach because it's been validated by a scientific study. But then compare and contrast the dude who crossed the finish line first and the relative value or, or validation of those two different compare and contrast. And one thing that I observed as an athlete was uh, the winners of the races on the professional circuit uh, did a lot of high-volume training at a comfortable heart rate. And it didn't really make sense because uh, a lot of the exercise physiology science argues that you can max out on your uh, aerobic, your cardiovascular development benefits in a certain number of hours a week. So let's say if you're training uh, 7, 8, 10 hours a week of comfortably paced cardiovascular exercise, there is some argument and there's a lot of science showing that pretty soon you're going to max out your benefits and then you got to start going faster and faster to elicit these uh more dramatic fitness responses. You can Google right now articles that say high-intensity interval training is better than steady state uh, 
uh, to improve fitness, lose body fat, do this, do that. It's wonderful. You can spend less time working out, just go harder. And that simple insight has been bastardized and uh, repurposed irresponsibly in the fitness scene so that people are walking into gyms and getting really, really tired doing these high-intensity workouts that last for too long and that are done too frequently. And then what we saw in the professional circuit was dudes and gals that spent all day pedaling their bicycles at a slow pace, uh, swimming laps back and forth, jogging on the trails, and then towing the starting line and being able to blast at an extremely high performance, high uh, wattage or energy output for, let's say, a two-hour Olympic distance uh, triathlon race. And so it didn't really make sense that pedaling your bicycle slowly for four, five, or six hours would translate to a high-intensity one-hour time trial, but it just does, and it just did. And the world record performances, the elite athlete performances in all endurance sports for the past, let's say it's now almost 60 years, have featured uh, an incredibly high-volume training approach. And this goes back to the great running coach, Dr. Arthur Lydiard in New Zealand, and training his track runners, most notably Peter Snell, Olympic gold medalist, world record holder at 800 meters, uh, training him in an over-distance manner where he was running up to 100 miles a week, doing marathons for practice, running in the sand dunes up hills and building his strength, building his strength, unlike any of the track runners that preceded him. And then he stepped on the track and ran a 144-800 meters back in 1964, winning the gold medal uh, in Tokyo. And his time way back in the 60s from this unique novel over-distance training approach uh, is still world-class and would have qualified him for the Olympic final at 800 meters in every successive Olympics uh, since the, uh, the time in the 60s when he was in his prime. So practical application of some of these training theories, in my mind, uh, is not only uh, better than science, it's much, much better than science. Okay, so there's a little uh, plug for keeping an open mind, regardless of how much scientific data we have. And guess what? We don't have a ton of scientific data on the carnivore thing yet. But when you have people coming back from the dead, when you have your digestive function seemingly much better after eating in a certain pattern for a few weeks, uh, your energy levels better, things like that, you start to wake up and pay attention. Uh, So I'm writing back saying, yes, the people that uh, have these sensitivities to plant antigens or have uh, unexplainable and long-suffering inflammatory or autoimmune conditions, I would suggest going strict carnivore. And remember to do this right, because when you have an exclusionary diet like carnivore, you don't want to be an idiot and do it in an ill-advised manner or a lazy manner. So it's not about going and having a hamburger every single day and two eggs in the morning and some bacon. You want to have this nose-to-tail strategy that Dr. Saladino advocates for very nicely. Uh, and of course, uh, many people in the broader ancestral health movement are uh, have long been discussing the importance of a nose-to-tail strategy. Dr. Kate Shanahan, her book Deep Nutrition, which first appeared on the scene uh, back in 2009-2010, uh, was really big on identifying these uh, four pillars of uh, human nutrition. And uh, in the categories, there was some stuff that even the healthiest eaters were by and large uh, ignoring. One of them was organ meats. 
And my gosh, uh, I can reference my own uh, ancestral health experience over the past decade or past 11 years, actually, since I've been eating uh, primally and haven't really consumed many organ meats in that time because I don't know how to cook them. Not a huge fan of the taste of liver, but uh, especially in the past year, I've really upped my game and made a concerted effort to go out there and find some organ meats and include them into my diet because they are so nutritious and they offer things that are not found in our habitual consumption of muscle meat, our narrow focus on consuming muscle meat, right? All the cuts of beef and the burgers and things like that that are just a small part of what the animal offers nutritionally. So a huge plug for that nose-to-tail strategy, making sure you get organ meats into your A-game and also uh, meats on the bone or collagen products such as bone broth because the collagen is almost entirely absent from uh, the muscle meats, and you can get this from uh, joint material and things like that. So you want that to spill into your consumption by consuming uh, bone-in cuts of meat or getting that wonderful preparation of bone broth that you can make yourself or buy in the store that's extremely high in agents like collagen and also glycosaminoglycans, which really help with your own joint and connective tissue function, which Dr. Kate Shanahan argues is a huge predictor of longevity. Your connective tissue health goes goes hand in hand with your longevity. Wow. Okay. So we're trying to go nose to tail with our animals. Um, and one thing I, uh, wrote here in the answer, uh, some clarification of understanding why, uh, plants, uh, healthy, nutritious fruits and vegetables are touted as these antioxidant powerhouses. Uh, but what really happens is when you ingest these plant foods, they contain pro-oxidant compounds hormetic stressors to the body, things that are toxic uh, to ingest. Of course, when you cook them or you prepare them by fermenting, soaking, and sprouting things like nuts, uh, legumes, then you minimize your exposure to these uh, toxic or these uh, health-compromising lectins and other agents in the plants. But when you ingest the uh, small amount of uh, antigen, of uh, uh, pro-oxidant compounds, you are going to trigger an antioxidant response in your body. So when you say blueberries or broccoli are high in antioxidants, it's not literally correct. They prompt a high antioxidant response because they are a hormetic stressor. Mind blower number three or four in the show. I never really realized that. And then if you want to talk about hormetic stressors and how wonderfully beneficial they are to life, Oh my gosh, of course, we need more and more of these in daily life because life is so comfortable and predictable and we're, you know, pursuing this endless amount of convenience and luxury. So we're getting rid of all the hormetic stressors that made us uh, the humans that we are over the course of evolution and struggling and suffering a bit here and there in daily life. So the term hormetic stressor, if I'm getting too far ahead, sorry, is a uh, brief positive uh, natural stressor that serves to uh, create a net health benefit overall. So when I jump into my chest freezer cold tub every morning and sit in 36 to 38 degree water for several minutes, that is definitely a stressful event. It spikes the fight or flight response in the body. But of course, I'm getting out after six minutes. So I warm up uh, before I uh, wear myself down and uh, 
trash my immune system and get sick or or die if I stayed in there arguably for too long, right? So if it's a prolonged stressor, then it's called a chronic stressor, not healthy, but a brief natural stressor, such as jumping into cold water, such as doing a sprint workout, right? Such as going into the sauna, anything that's challenging the body in a, uh, in a beneficial way is a hormetic stressor. Now, do we need to add yet another hormetic stressor from consuming plant materials that have antigens and prooxidant compounds in there when we can, of course, go take a cold shower, do a sprint workout, get into the sauna, and indulge in all other manner of hormetic stressors? So that's another interesting argument that, yes, we're getting a beneficial antioxidant response from having our morning blueberries and our evening broccoli, but we don't really need to add this to the list. Fasting is another hormetic stressor, right? It is stressful to fast and not consume calories uh, and get up and go through your day and start burning energy without calories. So it's a mild stressor. People with uh, adrenal dysfunction, thyroid trouble, when they're getting into uh, ancestral eating, primal paleo style, keto style, uh, it can be a little too much to fast in the morning because you are under uh, or, or subject to the chronic stressors of life. So sometimes we've got to be careful that our hormetic stressors uh, deliver a net positive benefit and not overdo it. Another argument for possibly putting the plants aside and eating the foods that are ready there to ingest, assimilate, and benefit from without the soaking, sprouting, fermenting, and then ingesting the uh, pro-oxidant agent and triggering an antioxidant response. Okay, so this was cause for reflection uh, personally. Because when I started to back off on the steamed vegetables or the stir-fried vegetables every night and the morning smoothies, I had to ask myself the question, uh, do I I love broccoli because the taste is so fantastically incredible? Or is part of the reason that I love broccoli, because I do love broccoli, let's say, for argument's sake, or I love salads, is part of the reason that I love my salad or I love my steamed broccoli drizzled in butter uh, with a nice shaking of salt and spices on there, is part of the reason because I know how healthy it is for me. You get what I'm saying? Is that messing with my head psychologically so that I love these foods that are good for me, uh, but not necessarily inherently love them so much that I can't live without them? Ha, it's hard to tell, huh? I think many healthy enthusiasts have succeeded in reprogramming our brains away from foods that deliver a uh, intense sensation of pleasure upon ingestion uh, by convincing ourselves that they're very bad for us and we don't need to eat them and they're compromising our health, right? So today, when I, uh, if I were to taste a milk chocolate bar instead of a dark chocolate bar, it tastes entirely too sweet. My tolerance uh, goes down to about 75% and below that, it's just too sweet. I don't like it. I'll spit it out. You get what I'm saying? Same with having a cheesecake from uh, a nearby factory. I'll take a few bites, let's say, and it'll be too sweet, too rich, and I'll have a negative experience to the extent that I'll never eat it again. But part of that negative experience is because I know in my heart that this stuff's not good for me. 
Similarly, when I feel gassy and bloated, uh, which happens frequently after this super nutrition morning green smoothie, I just powered through it always because I told myself that this was an extremely beneficial and healthy health practice. So I just had to deal with the discomfort and uh, shake it off, right? So the whole thing in conclusion uh, of my uh, message to Dan and conclusion of this thread, the whole thing's a great exercise in critical thinking. And oh my goodness, here's my uh, big picture critical thinking here, is that once you clean up your diet and depart from these nasty, heavily processed modern foods that are destroying the health of humanity, uh, you're going to experience a fantastic positive benefit. And so when we uh, talk about the plant-based community and the difference of opinion we have between, let's say, a carnivore advocate and a whole food plant-based advocate, both of those are dramatic departures from the standard American diet, featuring industrial seed oils, lots of sugar and sweetened beverages, uh, lots of heavily processed grain foods, stuff that makes you feel lousy, that spikes blood sugar, spikes insulin, causes an inflammatory reaction in the body, causes oxidative stress in the body. So any departure you make from a sorry-ass standard American diet is going to uh, generate a huge explosion in health. And from that point, maybe we're, <laughs> maybe we're worried too much about the little nuances, right? I mean, if I'm going to have some salads and broccoli and blueberries in my life ahead, it's probably not going to kill me. Um, it may not be as incredibly healthy and beneficial as we previously thought, but I also want to uh, caution everyone from getting uh, overly wound up about any of this stuff because clearly this is a trend today where people are uh, becoming obsessed with uh, dietary strategy and thinking that it's the end all. And Dr. Kate has been so great uh, with me personally on this note, uh, reminding me uh, more than once that, you know, let's say my complaints about my crash and burn patterns where I'm tired and I can't recover from my workouts. So what should I change in my diet? And she reminds me it might not be related to diet at all. Your diet might be just fine. So I think it uh, ultimately the responsibility is for all of us to uh, get in touch with our needs, uh, do some testing and refining, try some different dietary patterns. Definitely go get some blood work. Oh my gosh, today you can go to ultralabtest.com or directlabs.com and for a small investment, oh my gosh, you can order up directly a whole bunch of cool blood tests. Get the report, retest, track things over time based on different lifestyle strategies. I have an article on my blog at bradkearns.com about doubling my testosterone levels in about five months just from modifying my excessive speed golf habits, my excessive training program that was really tiring me out and draining me. It made me feel like I was back in that overtraining pattern that I lived in when I was a professional triathlete decades ago. Uh, but during this five-month period, I first tested at a uh, free testosterone and serum testosterone that was clinically low. So if I were in the doctor's office at the endocrinologist, they would have teed me up for hormone replacement therapy at the tender age of 50 uh, years and change. 
Whoa, baby, not ready to go down that path yet. So what I did was, over the ensuing five months, I greatly toned down my extreme enthusiasm for speed golf and exceeding my maximum aerobic heart rate uh, over and over again during these wonderful outings that I enjoyed so much on the golf course, but were uh, progressively draining me and burning me out. And so five months later, I delivered a testosterone value that was in the 99th percentile, uh, not only for men over 50, but even in the 20 to 29 category, I was up at 900 and something. Same with my free testosterone value, which was uh, way up in the high normal range instead of below the cutoff for normal range. So you can make tremendous changes in that all-important value, especially for males, of your free and serum testosterone with lifestyle transformation. So with diet, our greatest responsibility is to make a sincere commitment to eliminating these nasty modern foods that are uh, killing humanity and be serious about it. Make a firm commitment. There's no reason to consume industrial seed oils ever again the rest of your life. They're not incredibly great tasting agents. They're just cheap ways to uh, usually cook food or preserve food if it's packaged or processed, and you can navigate your way to zero tolerance for that. And then when it comes to refined grains and sugars, obviously these are still a centerpiece of culture, and people like to indulge and celebrate at times, but be really selective and choosy and high awareness of how this stuff affects your body and strive to completely eliminate them from your diet, knowing that they might leak in here and there over time, but they don't necessarily have to. Whew. All that starting with this uh, innocent question about the carnivore diet and going on from there with some uh, further tidbits for the show. Uh, I want you guys to um, uh, go look up this lady, Allison Gannett, who I saw give a presentation at KetoCon a couple years ago because she was diagnosed with uh, advanced, highly malignant terminal brain cancer back in 2013, and she cured herself. Uh, she strongly attributes it to uh, a ketogenic diet and a whole bunch of healthy living practices that she details. You can watch her presentation on YouTube. I was there live in Austin, Texas, and she's putting up slides of her MRIs showing uh, her breasts and chest cavity and brain riddled with cancer. And then months later, whatever, a year later, uh, showing the same slides, the imagery had gone from orange and red, which is bad news on the MRI, to green and blue, clean, clean, burning green and blue. And she did it with a comprehensive approach and gave some tips. I took uh, notes on it. So just kind of teeing you up for the idea that And I asked Dr. Kate Shanahan this question straight up. What if you were diagnosed with cancer tomorrow? What if I was? What would you tell me to do? Uh, Hopefully nothing we have to think about, uh, but worth considering and having the the action plan in your pocket if uh, uh, some adverse uh, health diagnosis came about. You know what Kate said? First thing right out of her mouth, no hesitation. Well, I'd go to Turkey and get treated at this uh, advanced clinic doing some cutting-edge stuff. I think they were dealing with uh, lowering insulin down to the floor, maybe through uh, medical intervention, uh, just getting those insulin levels way down there and starving those cancer cells of glucose because cancer cells feed preferentially off of glucose uh, in comparison to healthy cells. So if you went on a ketogenic diet, a zero-carbohydrate diet right out of the gate, which seems 
like a really good idea for most cancers. Some cancers are different and in a different category, so you'd have to get some professional advice. Uh, I can't remember which one's which, but certain cancers may not respond well to the ketogenic diet, but many of them do. And so when you starve those cancer cells of glucose, you are off and running. But some pretty mind-blowing insights came from Allison's presentation and also echoed entirely independently by Dr. Kate Shanahan during our YouTube interview. And you can search for this video. Uh, it says, How to Become Cancer Proof. Uh, Brad Kearns, Kate Shanahan, sat down with her in her new home of Florida, and we went at it for a beautiful one-hour-long-plus discussion on how to beat cancer and also how to think critically about some of the mainstream uh, uh, treatment methods that might be worth a second thought. You know what Allison said and Dr. Kate said? Don't worry so much about tumors. <laughs> what? The tumor is everything. That's where we get the chemo and the radiation to blast that thing and get rid of it. Kate said instead that if she were diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, she would watch the tumor. Watch it over time. Let it grow for a while. Not worry about it too much. This came up in Allison's notes also. I don't have great details on my notes, but she said, don't care too much about the tumors. <laughs> so anyway, uh, her best advice, or one of the most profound things she said was, uh, get a cancer coach, get someone to help you. So when she was diagnosed with this horrible brain cancer, uh, she partnered with Dr. Nasha Winters, and they took on the challenge together, and they went after the root cause rather than just attacking the symptoms of a tumor growing and needing to zap it and blast it. So... Uh, this Dr. Nasha Winters that treated Allison Gannett uh, does a personalized uh, cancer treatment plan, doing blood work, health history, some DNA testing, uh, and she has a website called dietdoctor.com. Allison is completely in remission, no signs of cancer. She also clear, cleared up uh, numerous other health conditions, and this was mainly from a dietary transformation, and she lives on a farm in Colorado and did a lot of homegrown foods and wonderful, healthy, nutritious diet, uh, pretty much uh, strict ketogenic, uh, measuring those uh, total carbs and keeping them under 50 grams a day, getting the highest quality animal products like the pastured eggs and the grass-fed meat and the organic, locally grown veggies. But Allison also cured polycystic ovarian syndrome, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, breast fibroids, joint pain, arthritis, bladder infections, yeast infections, chronic bronchitis, and debilitating seasonal allergies. How is that for getting rid of, rid of some shit in your life just from changing your diet and opening your mind to uh, different health practices? So, of course, this went uh, beyond diet, and Allison was also talking about uh, detoxifying your environment, and we got big problems in this area today, don't we? Toxic drinking water, toxic food supply, especially mass-produced food, uh, the the health progression people have great concerns about our exposure to electromagnetic fields through Wi-Fi signals and close proximity to cell phone throughout the day. Oh man, this really makes me nervous because we know so little about it. 
Uh, I love my Apple EarPods, those things, those portable things you put in your ear with no cord, because I was always hitting the cord when I was trying to multitask and listen to podcasts or whatever, going running down the street with the cord dangling around. So these are fun little things, but I'm thinking, am I frying my brain right now by sending a signal from the cell phone in my pocket near my balls up to my brain and just frying everything? Ah, I don't know. Nobody knows for sure, but when you hear smart, intelligent people that do a lot of research concerned about it, you might want to minimize your exposure to Wi-Fi and keep your cell phone at a safe distance if possible. Uh, Another thing that's come to my attention and interest recently with my greater immersion into the world of optimizing testosterone, especially as an aging male, is the effect of estrogenic compounds in the environment and our obligation to minimize our exposure to this stuff, which again is something that has just exploded in recent decades and did not exist uh, years and decades ago. For grandfather, father, great-grandfather, they weren't drinking out of plastic bottles, man. They're drinking out of a a, 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 a tin mug or a wooden, a wooden mug or a ceramic mug. And so, when we have plastics in our food supply especially... We want to totally eradicate those, do as good as we possibly can to drink out of stainless steel or glass and eat out of glass and never, ever heat something up in a microwave that's contained in plastic. And as far as your uh, eating out and getting to-go stuff from the the market or from the provider, uh, try to minimize your exposure to plastic containers. Never, ever heat them up. Uh, There's a guy named Dr. Anthony Jay who was on the Fundamental Health podcast with Paul Saladino uh, talking in great detail about the various uh, vehicles that deliver estrogenics uh, in the environment. And super, super bad for men. That's how you get man cans and diminish testosterone over time is this uh, trickle, trickle, trickle in uh, idea that you're constantly getting hit with these mild levels of estrogenic influences in your environment. And of course, not great for females either when we get out of estrogen balance and promoting the reproductive cancers that are strongly driven by that. So we all want to get rid of this crap. Uh, where do they come from? Plastics, big one, get rid of that stuff. Uh, soy foods. You might have heard some negative <laughs> commentary about soybeans and also uh, flax, flax seeds and flaxseed oil. Uh, soy and flax contain around a thousand times more phytoestrogens than uh, most other plants. So a lot of plant matter uh, nuts, seeds, legumes, fruits, vegetables have uh, mild levels of phytoestrogens. These are estrogenic-like compounds that come in the plant naturally. Um, maybe not the hugest deal to uh, ingest those because uh, a lot of people think the health benefits are there, although <laughs> the first half of this show was talking about that maybe you don't need them. Anyway, if you can just put aside soy products and uh, flax products, you will greatly minimize your exposure to phytoestrogens or plant-based estrogens. Uh, uh, in particular, the uh, 
processing of uh, corn, the GMO uh, agents and the way that they uh, harvest corn uh, tends to accumulate mold in the product and the mold is allowable uh, at a certain level. So you're going to have moldy corn when you uh, consume anything that uh, contains corn, including uh, corn syrup and all the uh, ways that they throw this agent into the food supply. And the molds in the corn uh, have high levels of estrogenic compounds as well. Then we go down the list to our personal care products, especially the stuff we put on our body, your shaving cream, your shampoo, your toothpaste. Uh, the commercial products are generally uh, containing these mycoestrogens, and we want to go and look for the uh, healthy, hippie, natural stuff. And there's a reason that there's a whole product category for these. So things like uh, the Castile soap from Dr. Bronner's and other providers where it's just a purely natural soap. You can put that on your body and replace your shampoos and commercial soaps. And then all the home uh, cleaning products uh, made by commercial manufacturers, the the Tides and the brand name products that you uh, clean your counter with or put especially in your clothes because you get them on your clothes, you get them on your body. So try to find those uh, eco-friendly providers as an alternative to the mainstream crap. It's worth doing. Support these companies. They care about your health. Uh, I wouldn't say Procter & Gamble and the big shots that are pumping out these toxic products uh, care as much as a small provider that's putting in uh, naturally-based agents, right? Easy, right, getting rid of the toxics in your environment. And so just finishing Allison's story and finishing off the podcast. So I just did a little tangent there talking about the estrogenics when uh, Allison said to uh, minimize the toxins in your environment. And now we get back to some of her other bullet points, which was that vitamin D level, which we know has a strong influence on a gene called P53, the spell checker gene, they call it. And this is the gene that regulates healthy cell division. Obviously, cancer would be unregulated cell division. Okay, so if you are not getting good function with your P53 gene, which is strongly associated with your vitamin D level, you are increasing your cancer risk. So get that vitamin D up higher. Unfortunately, mainstream medical is slow to the game. And if you get a test level of over 30 nanograms per milliliter, you are going to be in the quote-unquote normal range, and your doctor's going to say you're fine. But vitamin D advocates want to get you much higher than that. Dr. Michael Holick, author of The Vitamin D Solution, a fantastic book from someone who has put his life's work into this matter, wants you to get up over 60, 70, 80, numbers like that. Uh, Allison says during her presentation, you want to see vitamin D up in the 80 to 120 level range. So that's four times higher than what your mainstream physician is saying is okay. How do we get vitamin D? By exposing large skin surface areas of our body to direct sunlight during the times of peak solar intensity, during the times of day and times of year of peak solar intensity in your environment. So a great percentage of us are vitamin D deficient because we have indoor dominant lifestyles or we're just afraid of the sun, uh, worried about skin cancer risks, which are unfounded. One of the great risks of melanoma is insufficient sun exposure and low vitamin D levels. Ah, the whole story unwound. Check the most recent version, the new and improved 
primal blueprint, the book that started it all with the primal movement. Uh, we did a revision in 2017, and we go into great detail about the vitamin D issue. We also have a handy ebook uh, of vitamin D education that you can find on primalblueprint.com. Uh, email if you have trouble uh, finding that. I think there's some free ebook offers uh, that you can hit off of uh, marksdailyapple.com. Excuse me. So get that vitamin D level higher by sun exposure as well as supplementation if you're sun challenged lifestyle. Huh. Also, Allison was talking about the uh, importance of mental and emotional stresses. So if you do happen to get a cancer diagnosis and it's time to fight it, fight it with a positive attitude. Get in there and smile and do your best and make some lifestyle changes. Don't succumb and get into a negative, fearful mindset. Dr. Doug McGuff uh, cites some really important research in his book, uh, Primal Prescription, whereby uh Females who had uh, breast cancer screenings and came up with false positive experienced an exact identical negative health impact for up to six months as females who were diagnosed actually with cancer. So in other words, they got the false positive. It was cleared up, let's say, with a second screening two weeks later or something. But the stress and the trauma and the ordeal of having to deal with that false positive diagnosis affected their health for up to six months afterward. (sighs) So, Manage your mental and emotional stresses. Uh, Choose your attitude. Remember the thoughts are the source of all your pain, not what's happened to you. And then finally, uh, if your uh, iron level is over 100, go and give blood. Interesting one there, because I, in recent blood tests, had a massively high iron level. I think one of them was 200, one of them was 130. So I became a blood donor, uh, less lazy than I had been in previous years, and got that thing back down into the safe level. Uh, probably a greater concern for males or uh, postmenopausal females, uh, but definitely this is why. You want to go to those blood testing outlets and test yourself and track things. And of course, you pay a few bucks, you get your own results uh, over the email a few days later, and if there's nothing to concern yourself with, good to go. Do another test in a few months. But if you do have some weird red flag items, then you go and get uh, professional help from uh, your mainstream medical care provider or functional medicine specialist, whatever you're into. But it's important to uh, self track these days because it's so easy and simple to do so. Okay, what a great show. Thank you so much. Info at ketoreset.com. Let's keep the dream alive. Keep it going. Thanks for listening. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch. 
um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park as they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.